What a great gift we have that Jesus has broken into our world and we are never alone. Thank you for worshiping, yeah, just so good. So uh, our daughter Lauren is home this weekend and just as importantly, she brought our little grandson Teddy. Uh, he's home as well and if you're, if you're out in the lobby, maybe Lauren's here today and I think Teddy's in the service as well. I see him in the back. Um, so Laura and I have this little bit of friendly competition, and it's this. Her husband is a helicopter pilot with the Coast Guard. You'll see a picture of the helicopter kind that he flies. And Laura and I have this friendly competition as to who is going to get a ride from Brad first. And so I asked Brad, I said, Brad, I need to know, like, I need the inside scoop. How do I get a ride from you? And he goes, well, you gotta be in really desperate shape. He said, like, maybe several miles offshore, floating in the ocean, maybe, maybe a, a, like you think you're having a heart attack. I said, I, I can do that, I can do that. <laughs> and he said, too far for like, it's difficult for a boat to get to you and, and it's really, really bad. And it's possible that if, yeah, I'm the one on duty, I said, I can find that out as well. Um, that I would come and I would, we'd lower the thing and we'd pick you up. I'm like, I'm in, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm gonna see, you pray for me that I'll, I'll beat the, my daughter in the competition. You know, when I think of what Brad says would be the situation, I need to be in a word, you're out, like way out. There's no way you're gonna get back in. And the only way to get back in is a helicopter comes and plucks you up. That spiritually is a metaphor for where we are in an ocean of sin. You and I are born into this place of tremendous need. There's no way we can rescue ourselves. And Jesus, in his own words, in Luke chapter 19, says that my mission is this. The reason I came that very first Christmas is for this reason. I came to seek and to what? To save those who are lost. And you go, I don't know if that's, that's all of us. When we come to the place of realizing I'm lost in an ocean of sin and the only way for me to be rescued is for Jesus to come in to rescue me, to pull me out of my sin and to save me. But the good news is this. He doesn't only come to forgive me, say, all right, washed away your sin, you're good. He comes to help me to live a new kind of life. I can't do it without him. In fact, you'll see this Quote on the screen, it says this, not only is our salvation impossible for us to accomplish on our own, the same is true for our obedience to Jesus. You and I just can't live the kind of life that he wants us to live unless he helps us. And that's the wonder of what Jesus does. He doesn't only come to save me, he comes to rescue me from my own sinful way of living and helps me to live a new kind of life. And in fact, it's what we saw last week, this stunning declaration from Jesus. I'd love for you to read these words with me aloud. You're gonna see on the screen from Acts chapter, or I'm sorry, John chapter 16, verse seven. Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, he says this, starts with in fact. You ready to read that together? Let's say it together. In fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? This is remarkable. This is a paradigm shifter. He says, it is better for you, rather than having me with you, right beside you, it's better, visible, it's better that if I leave 
and that you have my spirit not just with you, but where? In you. Jesus says, this is better. It's better if I leave and I go away so I can send my spirit not to be next to you, not with you, but to live in you because he will help you to live the kind of life that I want you to live. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, the same spirit that helped me to win against every single temptation that came my way, it's the same spirit I'm gonna give you. The same spirit who helped me to love people who are difficult and challenging in my life. You have anybody like that in your life? A couple of you? He says, it's the same spirit I'm gonna put in you to help you love the people who are difficult and challenging in your life. The same spirit who gave me a, a sense of resilience and, and strength against the criticism and the insults and the persecution, eventually for Jesus, his death, he says, is the same spirit I'm going to put in you to help you to know that your identity is not what other people think about your identity is in me. I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit. But we might say, all right, that's, that's good, but how exactly do I live that out? How do I live a spirit-directed life? Let's turn to Romans chapter eight as we continue our series here. Identity matters, how the gospel changes us, shapes our identity in a way that transforms our outlook on life. Uh, if you'd like to find notes for the message, if you just go to our uh, home uh, page of our website, gracecmat.org or the Grace app, you'll find them there. And those of you engaged online, really glad to have you with us as well. A shout out uh, to Judy in Chesapeake, Virginia. Your family is worshiping with us today. Some international workers who are with us from different places around the globe and just uh, other people from around Northeast Ohio. Really glad to have you with us today. Before we dig into God's word, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you today. Uh, we sang together, we declared, as Robin said, that we can sing sometimes because we believe and sometimes we sing until we believe. And Lord Jesus, we want you to just shine the light of your word into our lives today that we are not alone. What does it mean to live a life directed by your spirit? Lord Jesus, would you open up our minds? Thank you for your word. Thank you for the light that it sheds in our lives Lord, I wanna thank you for the generosity of this church family and, and Lord, to think of over 3,000 books uh, donated just the last few weeks to children um, in need and I pray that they would realize how loved they are by you, that behind the gift of a book would be the sense of somebody cares about me. Lord, I pray for that kind of care and comfort uh, as hundreds of people gather this Saturday for the blue Christmas service in this room, Lord, many who have lost a loved one these past months or the last couple of years, and Lord, I, I pray that the hope and the confidence of heaven would sustain and that uh, your, your presence would just, Lord, thank you, you're close to the brokenhearted. Would you show that again? Uh, open up our minds now and our eyes uh, to see and to understand and to live out spiritual truth. In your name we pray. Amen. You're going to see on the screen the uh, outline of the book of Romans, five S's we've talked about. We've looked at sin, this infection that all of us have, how his salvation has come to rescue us, to pluck us out of that ocean of sin. And then sanctification, how, do you, how are you filled with the life of God? So last week we looked at uh, what it means to have the Holy Spirit when he comes to live in you. What is what does he do that uh, we said this, that you're completely freed from the guilt of your sin? Remember Romans 8, 1, no condemnation. 
You can live in a way that pleases God, that you have power to say no to sin. Remember we said, you can fire your old boss, Lenny, your sinful nature. Uh, some of you came up to me, you go, I had a boss just like that. If you missed last week, you'll hear about my boss, one of my first bosses. Um, you can confidently look forward to your afterlife in heaven. The Spirit of God helps you with that. You can have security today as one of God's own children, and you have his constant prayers and times of distress that the Holy Spirit prays for you. We saw that from Romans chapter 8. Now, when you know those benefits, you go, okay, that's what it means to have the Holy Spirit in your life. Anybody with a spiritual pulse goes, I want that to be true about me, right? I, I, I want that in my life, but how do I live that out? How do I live a spirit-directed life? So I want to just read a few more of the verses in Romans chapter 8 here and see what Paul says, and then we'll apply this to our lives today. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 9. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives where? In you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So, how do you get led by the Spirit? How do you live a Spirit-directed life? Let's just look at some of the things that Paul says here and, and say, Lord, we wanna live like this, and we're gonna pray together at the end and say, Jesus, would you make this true for us? So first of all, by faith, believe the incredible truth of what Paul says here, the truth about your new life, that the Spirit of God lives in you. Paul says it about five times here, that even though you can't see the Spirit of God, that he lives with you and he lives in you. He's as real as the person sitting closest to you. That he's, he's not only with you, he's what? He's, he's in you. Paul, Jesus says that's better. Why, why does Paul repeat this like five times in these just several verses? The spirit lives in you. He's, he's within you. He, he li why does he? Because he knows we're prone to forget, right? First Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know? Don't you know the Spirit of God lives in you? It's easy for us to forget because we can't see with these eyes, right? And what you can't see with these eyes, you tend to forget. You forget what you can't see. We're in a reading uh, Bible in one year. Hundreds of people doing that at Grace. We're gonna start a new Bible reading plan in January. Stay tuned for that this coming week. Uh, but in the Bible in one year we've been doing, we're reading in the book of Hebrews, and, and in, in chapter 11, it's commending people of faith. And, and the one uh, of the individuals is commended for this. this. This is the quote in Hebrews chapter 11. It, it says, uh, verse 27, it says, they kept their eyes on the one who is invisible. It's almost an oxymoron, isn't it? How do you keep your eyes on something that's invisible? Because you know it to be true, even if these eyes can't see it. With eyes of faith, you believe it. You keep your eyes peeled and you go, there's an invisible reality that's true about me. And one of those invisible spiritual realities is this. 
The Spirit of God has come to live within you. When you believe that, friend, when you get that, and you know that you're never alone wherever you go the rest of this Sunday, wherever you go tomorrow, wherever you go this week, that you are not alone. He says, I want you to have eyes to see the invisible. Now, some of the words that are talked about in the scriptures, including here in Romans, let me just mention some of the terms. First, it talks about being baptized in the Spirit. He's not talking about water baptism here. That's important. But what he's talking about with baptism in the Spirit is when the Spirit comes and takes up residence in your life the moment that you put your trust in Christ. So baptism in the Spirit happens one time. It's true for all believers at the point that you put your trust in Jesus. In fact, here's what Paul, how he confirms it in verse 9. He says, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. In other words, you don't receive Jesus, and then later on you receive the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus, you receive his Spirit, comes and lives in you. You're baptized in the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, if being baptized in the Spirit is like the moment that you're if, if you're married and you said, I do to your spouse, you say that one time, you say, uh, you know, I, you, you go through the, the covenant, right? To be filled with the Spirit is the life, the quality of the relationship that builds off of that initial commitment to Jesus. That are you influenced by Jesus living within you? Is your love for him growing? It's sort of be like when you invite someone into your home, they're in your house, that's sort of the baptism of the Spirit. But if you just keep that person at the front door and you say, hey, why don't you just have a seat here? And they don't have access to the rest of the house. They don't fill your house. They're in your house. They don't fill your house. To be baptized with the Spirit means you have all of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that he has access to all of you. That he gets to fill every part of your life. That you, you, he goes with you in, in every, you know, when you are hanging out with friends, when you're watching the game, when you're on the computer, when you're on the phone, when you're texting, when you're at work, school, whatever it might be. So the first way to live a spirit-directed life is this, to say, Holy Spirit, thank you. I just accept by faith what Paul says here to be true, that you have come to live within me. The day I put my trust in you, I am never alone. You are always with me. I want you to fill every aspect of my life. Paul goes on. He says, In verse nine, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living within you. In other words, it's an everyday kind of relationship, so throughout each day, you invite the Holy Spirit to lead you. Paul puts it this way over in Galatians chapter five. He says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading on Sundays. Now, what does he say? In every part of our lives, right? Oops, next verse there, Galatians 5. You guys have that one there? Did I put that one on the screen? Galatians chapter 5. Since we're living by the Spirit, um, let us experience him in every part of our lives. We're in point number two there throughout each day. And so it starts off in the morning. You say, Holy Spirit, today is a new day. I have responsibilities. I'm going to face some assignments, some pressures. I'm going to have some conversations. I want to invite you in every one of those Moments, every part of my life. You acknowledge that he's with you. It's a relationship. Brother Lawrence, 17th century lay Christian who worked in a monastery kitchen, wrote about this in his book, Practicing the Presence of God. It's a classic book. And here's how he described his relationship with the, with the Lord. He says, I do nothing else but abide in his presence, and I do this by simple attentiveness 
and a habitual loving turning of my eyes to him. This I call a wordless and secret conversation between the soul and God, which no longer ends. He said, there's just this sense of whatever I do, I do with him. How does it look to you? He goes, oh, that's like a monastery, 17, you know, 17th century. Here's what mom, one mom writes for the 21st century. She says, I'm putting away groceries, and the kids are tearing through the house with bags over their heads. Hopefully you get, uh, we stop that. Screaming, I can be, a, and she says, I can be a little frazzled, but inside I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you're here with me, in me, around me. Thank you for food. Thank you for my kids. She says, I'm not always successful at this, but I try to take Jesus with me wherever I go. We keep each other constant company. Constant company. Say those two words with me. Constant company. That's what he wants. So I want to fill every part of your life. Constant company. That you invite him to just fill every part of your day. Third, set your mind on pleasing the one who loves you most. Here's what Paul says in these verses here in verse five. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the spirit think about things that please the spirit. Do you hear what he's saying? The spirit who is in me wants to, me to think about how I can please God. Literally, he's saying, in, in those verses, he's saying, set your mind on that. Focus intently on it. You're, you're occupied with how to please the Lord. That's your, your goal. Why? In a word, gratitude. You're just so thankful. You go, Lord, for all that you've done for me, I, I want to please you. There's a little phrase here in verse 12 where Paul says this. He says, we have an obligation. He says, not to our sinful nature, not to our old boss, Lenny, but he says, we do have an obligation Implied to whom? To the one who gave his life for us. We have an obligation uh, to Jesus to say, Lord, I, I want to honor you. It's true in every relationship, right? When I uh, disobey a law of the state, there's sort of a cold sense of I've, I've transgressed the law. But when I wound a person, about a year ago, I said something that deeply wounded my wife, Mary. Um, one of the areas that where sometimes we have conflict is that our filters about what can be shared with other people and what shouldn't are very different. And so my filter is pretty open and hers is, is a little bit tighter. Anybody married and you have that conflict in your marriage? And so you know what happens is sometimes the person who has a more open filter says something and the other person's going, I cannot believe you, <laughs> and maybe you had a kick under the table. Well, I, I knew at the end of the evening, I, Mary said, I, I just can't believe you shared that. And what I told all these people was I told them, how, no, I'm not gonna tell you because I, <laughs> I'd wound her all over again, right? And I remember when she told me and I thought, man, I know we differ on this, but I have really wounded my wife. Like, I, I've hurt her deeply. I haven't just transgressed a law of the state. I've wounded a person I dearly love, my best friend. And so what do you do in that moment? If you really love a person, you go back and you don't say, I'm sorry if our filters are different. I, I said, I, I wanna ask you to forgive me because I deeply wounded you and it's the last thing I wanna do. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm really sorry. 
you seek to please the people you love the most, right? If you don't really love them, you don't really care about pleasing them. Paul says we have an obligation of gratitude and the one who gave his life for us. When he came, he didn't just, with a helicopter, just pull us out. He, he did it at the cost of his life. When, I, when the Spirit of God comes to live within me, I, I say, Lord, I, I want to honor you. And he says here, he says, the Spirit of God will help you to do that. Paul goes on in, in that vein, and another priority for living a spirit-directed life, you get rid of anything in your life that displeases him. Look at verse 13. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Those are pretty intense words, aren't they? When's the last time you said, yeah, I put that to death? Wow, you go, that, that's, that's sort of a violent kind of, Paul says, that's the, in the Greek, the word is thanatute, and what it means, it, it's like all-out war, like you pull out all the stops in the battle, and you're not on your own. He says, by the Spirit, you put to death the things that you know displease the Lord. What does it look like? In, in most of our lives, uh, when we have, if you think of the area where you struggle, you go, oh, I tend to gossip about people, or I really let loose with anger, or I, some kind of addictive behavior, whatever it is. Most of us know, if we were to analyze the evolution of that, we would say, you know what, before that happens, often here's what takes place. I'm really hungry or tired, or it's late at night and I'm by myself, or I'm with this particular person or group, or I begin to drink, or I'm out at wherever, whatever it is. I'm, it's when I travel on business, and you know what happens before the trigger points, before you get into the behavior that you know displeases the Lord. So here's what Paul says. He says, by the Spirit, put that to death. It's all-out war. You don't play games with sin in your life because, he says, that just leads to death like your own death. So you're either putting sin to death or sin is putting you to death. You gotta make a choice which one it's gonna be. And he says the spirit of God will help you in this all-out war to win the battle against sin. Paul's friend, I just wanna mention this for a second here because it sometimes can be confusing. People go, hey, the Christian life is all grace. I just receive, you know, he saves me and I just sort of, you know, and... When the Lord wants to give me freedom from that sin, I'm just waiting for him to answer that prayer. The Bible writers go, absolutely not. No, P Peter says, make every what? Every effort. He says it repeatedly. Make every effort. Someone has put it this way. They said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. In other words, I can never earn my way to acceptance with God. That's a gift of grace. But in terms of becoming the person he wants me to be, I'm not earning my way there, but I make every effort to say, Jesus, I want, by the strength of your Holy Spirit living within me, I want to be the person you want me to be. So I'm, I want to please you. I have an obligation to you. I'm going to put to death whatever leads me astray. That's Paul's colorful language there. Put to death whatever is gonna lead you away from Jesus. That's one of the ways you live a spirit-directed life. It's a battle. 
Let me just mention one more thing here because it's implied in what Paul writes all through this book and it's this. Find strength on your journey with other Christ followers. Paul's writing to a group of Christians here. He's not writing to a solo person. He's going, hey, y'all, that's what really he's saying. He's saying, I I want you to be together in this. If he's writing to an individual, you know what he says to someone like Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter two, he says, Timothy, I want you to enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. It's not a solo journey. So every time Paul talks about Christians and us being part of a church, he, he uses these powerful metaphors. He says things like this. He says, you are individual stones that together you form a temple, a building. Like you're not just individual random stones. You're, you're together. You're locked together. He talks about us being a body. He says, you know, one person is the ear, the eye, the arm, the foot, the whatever. He says, and together you form a body. If you're just random body parts all over, that's not even a scene we want to imagine. He goes, that's not what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ is all of us working together. He talks about us being members of a family, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. Paul says, you're on the journey with others. If you want to live a spirit-directed life, do the Christian life with others. I want to speak to those of you who are under 21 for a second. Um, because I, I just want you to know this starts early. And if you're under 21, you have a, you have a head start here. When I was in high school, uh, I had two guys in my life that I don't know where I would be today without those two guys. When I was asked a question recently in a small group, they said, who are the people who have been most influential in your spiritual journey? And these are two of the guys I went back to in high school. Uh, we would get together once a week in an, on an evening and we would talk about uh, life and we would talk about what we're learning in our relationship with Jesus, about some scriptures we read, um, an area maybe that we're wrestling and, and would you pray for me in this? How are you doing? We'd hold each other accountable. What are your dreams for the future? And we'd pray for one another. We'd pull off some world-class pranks. But those two guys, I, I look back and I was vulnerable uh, with some of the friend groups that I had I, I, again, I don't know where I'd be today if I had not enjoyed the companionship of those who called on the Lord out of a pure heart. If you're 21 and under, start now. And if you're 33 or 47 or 85, it's not too late. Who is it that in your life you could say, it even starts with a texting relationship or let's be in, you know, let's meet together for coffee every other week or something, but do the journey together. You want to live a spirit-directed life, friends? It's the only really the way to live the Christian life is to say, Spirit of God, would you come and live within me? I want you to have your way. There's a, a passage in Philippians 2. I'll end with this, and then we'll pray together. But Philippians chapter 2, um, Paul is writing to believers, and he says this. He says, I want you to work out your what? Your salvation with fear and trembling. You go, wait a second. I, I thought... I thought we just, salvation is by grace. It is. But he's going, once you've been saved, I want you to work it out. I want you to make every effort with fear and trembling. In other words, you are going to stand before a holy God someday. And there's sin that's crouching at your door seeking to take you down. The enemy wants to pick you off. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You go, so it's all me? He goes on and he says, for it is God who works where? In you to accomplish his good purposes. Work out your salvation because he's working in you. You cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's the Christian life. We said it 
before, the Christian life is not about checking off boxes, not about obligations religiously. It's not about showing up at church. The Christian life is living the life of Jesus wherever you go because he lives where? In you. Let's invite him to do that through us. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. This is a prayer I pray, and, and I just wanna invite you to pray silently as I, as I pray aloud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for making me your child and giving me your Holy Spirit the day I put my trust in you. I want to experience the Holy Spirit's direction in my life, all that he wants to do in me and through me to make me more like your son Jesus. And so I invite you, Holy Spirit, to point out anything in my life that needs to change. Help me to put away, to put to death whatever threatens my relationship with you, whether that's a relationship with somebody else or a sinful habit, thoughts of bitterness, patterns of lust, envy, anger, Lord, I ask you to lead me and empower me today. Spirit of Jesus, with your help, I will obey you in every area, yielding to your direction and promptings. Use me to make a difference in others, and thank you for always being with me and leading me. Start today. Fill me, I pray, in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.